Really, it is a privilege to be here. I know there's some new faces since we've been here and lots of old friends. And so I'm really thankful that God's given me an opportunity to, to come and, and share what he's sharing with me and um, just the word that he has for us in this really interesting season that we're in. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to start off by um, updating y'all, because um, the last time we were here, y'all sent us off, you prayed for us, and um, that really meant a lot, and some of those words have really still stuck with with me especially, um, and, and so um, I just want to let you know how things are going with us in the little city of Hondo. Um, we got to, we moved in, we moved to Hondo in March, and um, began the process of looking for a house. I started a job there, and um, we found a, a place to settle down, and um, are, are really enjoying the quietness of, of um, being out of the city. Um, but with quiet, there does kind of come, um, especially for Mira, but also for me, um, there is kind of some loneliness going on. And so um, Mira, thankfully, has, has started um, being able to be involved with different things. And um, so definitely a big thing to pray for us is um, is for for good friendships and for friendships that really draw all of us um, closer to Jesus. Um, especially moving, starting a job, quitting a job for Mira, having a baby. Um, it's a lot to do um, on your own. It's, it's, not, it's not too big for, for the Lord, but we definitely would prayerfully appreciate a good group of friends. Um, another thing that we that you could definitely be praying for us for for Hondo is um, Hondo is your stereotypical small Texas eat red meat and potatoes town. Um, there's a kind of the running line for Hondo is that um, it's God's country. Like there's a, a sign when you drive through that says, this is God's country, please don't drive through it like hell. And um, there's a lot of church culture. Everyone's involved in a church. There's a, a great um, culture of, you know, the the... The county sheriffs and all of that, they have like, in God we trust, like the city says, like, Hondo, this is God's country. Um, when Uvalde happened, we are halfway between San Antonio and Uvalde, and so the, the people that were there are very close to people in Uvalde, and so we stopped our, all of our county stuff for kind of a prayer vigil. All the pastors came and, and said prayers and stuff. And so there's a really um, there's a really 
visible presence of cultural Christianity in Hondo. Um, and there are people who have given their hearts and, um, and lives to, to serving the Lord. But that's a very few and far between kind of thing. And so there's a lot of cultural Christianity, but one of the big prayers is for God to really be welcome again in God's country. Um, we need revival in Hondo. Um, we need, I know for my heart, like we need that love relationship to be present in community in Hondo and that, for that to be visible among, um, among the churches there. A lot of people are involved in church. Um, at the same time, a lot of those people go out and, you know, do dumb stuff on the weekends and um, take part in, in silly things that, that the Lord hates. And so we just, we want real revival with real authentic relationships budding forth. Um, and another thing to pray for, um, for the, the city of Hondo, um, Medina County, um, it's a perfect place to settle down um, because it's a small town, property is cheaper out there, um, but there's not a lot out there for, um, for young people. A lot of people go to the cities and they... Um, you know, make names for themselves or whatever. Um, and so a lot of it is the same people um, who've lived there for generations. And um, there tends to be more of a, 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 a gen- generational gap between I'm growing up here and then I'm leaving and then you have your older folks who have been there for their whole lives and settled down. So there's not a there are a few, but there's not a ton of, you know, young families or, or um, you know, that young um, kind of gung-ho spirit about the place. And so one of the things I'm really praying for, along with the first point of, of community, is new faces who share the heart for Hondo um, and have a common vision to, um, to prayerfully um, join us in the effort of, of bringing revival to Hondo. Um, and that can be from anywhere. And so um, this body, I'm just praying that y'all would have a prayerful heart in mind, um, not, to, not particularly for y'all to move to Hondo, but for... Um, to pray for us, for that community to, to blossom. Um, and so those are just kind of my little updates about what's going on in Hondo. We, we really love where God's placed us. Um, it's a lot harder for Mira being away from family, um, but we get to thankfully see them once a week on Sundays and um, and when we come back here, um, we get to, to see y'all as well, which is a big blessing for us. Um, and so with that, with that kind of being fleshed out, um, I want to go into what the Lord has for us tonight. 
And so as Chris prayed for me, I'm going to pray as well um, for the for the Lord's word to go forth. So Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the testimonies of everyone here and where you've brought us all from. Lord, I thank you, God, that um, you have shown yourself good to this people, to this body, and that you have been so available to speak to us and so ready to speak to us and so open to share your heart with us. And that that heart that you shared in this body um, where men and women who've sought you seriously, Lord, we thank you that that word is going forth into this community. And so, Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would, um, as we have waited for you, as we've sought your face, and as we've um, drawn near to you, Lord, that you would draw near to us, that you would not let your word return void, and that you would bring about... um, just real, practical, proper revelation from your spirit tonight. It's in Jesus' name that I ask, Lord, that you would anoint the preaching of the gospel. Amen. So I've got two scriptures tonight, um, which are going to be our, um, our focus scriptures and those are going to be out of John. We're going to be looking at 1.14. And then we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And if you've been in the church with us for long, these are pretty familiar passages. Um, but I think they have a lot of weight for us tonight with what's going on in the election stuff and all that fun stuff. It's just just really valuable. So we're going to first be looking at John. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses, verse 14. So God says, John writes, And the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we'll also go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at 5 through 11. God says, Paul writes to the Philippians, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the, death of a, of, even the death of the cross. 
Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Say thanks be to God. And I, I started that, um, I really love that. It's, it's kind of a, a liturgical thing that some churches do. Um, but from, from the time that the Lord's given me the, the joy of teaching, um, I would always share at the end of, of, um, of giving the word, this is the word of the Lord. And the congregation generally says, thanks be to God. And it makes me think of, all of the um, the martyrs who died that we could get this word in English. And so I thank God every time I get to read this book in the company of believers, free and in English. So we moved to Hondo. Hondo is a really small town. One of the, the big draws to Hondo is dove hunting. And come September 1st, everyone who's into dove hunting flocks to Hondo. And um, we actually have a dog who's, he's a city dog, you know. He, he can't be outside in certain parts of the, the year during the day alone because he freaks out because it's like, it's like a war zone out there. You just hear all the... The dove's getting shot, and it's like, this is what it sounds like when doves die. It's just gunshots all over the place. Um, And so hunting is a big thing in Hondo. And I was walking through Walmart one one day, and I'm in the outdoor section because we're looking for something for our garden, and I like do a double take. I'm like, Mira, is that a deer blind? There's like a hunting blind in Walmart. And I was thinking about that one day at, at work because be diligent at work. It's good to be diligent at work, but oftentimes I daydream. Um, and so I'm, I'm just thinking about this, this deer blind at, at Walmart and, and God's like, what is, like, what's the purpose of a deer blind, it's to be invisible. It's to not be seen. It's to be in a place where you can get to your target most effectively. If you're out in the open, the doves are going to see you or the deer's going to see you or whatever you're trying to hunt, and you're not going to get it. You have to go low, you have to be invisible, you have to be quiet. And he drew me to, okay, like, what am I like? I'm invisible, I lay low, I'm quiet, I'm humble. And so he took me to humility. And so just the, the joy of, of, like, realizing the humility of God is not, like, because we think of Jesus, we think of him as a servant, washing his disciples' feet, dying on a cross, being humble. We think of him riding on a lowly donkey, and, and rightly so, we should think of, of 
Christ's humility, Christ's service to us as him being walking the earth, being a servant. But to him, it's not, it's not sackcloth and ashes. It's a ghillie suit. It's a deer blind. It's, I know what I need to do. This is what I've come to do. This is how I do it and get the most effect out of it. Jesus is humble as his main strategy. God the Father, as an invisible God, works in humility as his main strategy for spreading his kingdom. So tonight I want to look at the humility of Jesus as the main strategy of him advancing his kingdom. And, you know, before, before we think about it getting too ethereal up in the air, like, oh, this is a theological talk, this is what God's like, I do believe there are ramifications for us as followers of Jesus, as Christians. Christian, we know, means like Christ. And so I believe that the that God's humility carries over into us as well, and there's some practical understanding here as well. So just to keep, um, to keep in line with our talk, I want to give it some, um, some, some kind of points so we can stay on track. Um, I want to talk about Jesus and his humility. Was Jesus actually humble, or was he just kind of you know, showing off like was, you know, pretending to be humble. Was Jesus actually humble? How the humble king disarms the enemy? And how does Jesus' humility exalt him among the people of the world, both in believers and, and future believers? So we want to look at Jesus was he really humble? And I want to go back to this um, this verse in Philippians um, two five through eleven, specifically um, two seven, where it says that he made himself of no reputation, and. Getting to the Greek here, because I think, I think our English doesn't do it justice, to make himself of no reputation in the Greek, that word is, um, it's pronounced kinoo, and the word itself means to empty, to make empty, to make void, to deprive of force, to render vain, useless, of no effect, to make void or causing a thing to be seen as empty, hollow, or false. So this is what Paul is saying Jesus, in his humility, chose to do. He caused himself to appear as empty, hollow, or false. Like, to call, like he didn't come in the power that he had, he came and he gave up his godly power to show himself to us as a person. 
So Jesus emptied himself of divine power, but not his divine nature. So God, Jesus didn't say, I'm not God here on the earth. He still said, I'm God, but I'm not going to operate as God. I'm going to operate as a man. Now, this doesn't take away from God being, from Jesus being God, because I know the, the, big, the big scare here is like, are we saying that God got rid of, or that Jesus like separated himself from God's nature? No, he separated himself from his power, because God's godness isn't found in what he does, but who he is. So God isn't God because he made the earth. God isn't God because he knows everything that there is to be known. God isn't God because he, um, you know, he's everywhere. God is God because of who he is, because he's the most valuable being in the universe, because he has a right towards his creation, because he's infinitely good. And Jesus, being in the form of a man, was still all those things. Jesus walked, and this is another aspect of his humility, Jesus walked in the Holy Spirit and worked according to the will of the Father. So God was, Jesus was always present with God the Father with God the Holy Spirit, and he always did what he saw his father telling him to do. So we believe that Jesus truly walked in humility. He didn't put on a show. He didn't do it for pretend or just as something to try to mirror for us. He actually was humble. Jesus, in his emptying himself, became vulnerable. So if we look at the whole life of Jesus in a nutshell, in humility, Jesus' Jesus's life was marked by humble vulnerability. So God, the creator of the universe, came to earth as a baby. And I have one of those. And as a baby, you don't really get to do much. You don't get to really make your own decisions. God, who formed the universe and formed every human being, including the ones who took care of him, depended on human beings to take care of him as a baby. Like, I don't know if they had diapers back then, but like to change diapers, to like put him to sleep, get him up, feed him. God came to the earth as a baby at the mercy of human beings. And I think of Jesus was the one of the, the the titles that he called himself. He would always say, the son of man. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. You will see the son of man at the right hand of the power. So Jesus, as a hallmark of his 
time in his life on the earth took upon himself and has always been, even before he came to earth and even after now, he's taken upon himself the title, the role of son. And I have in my notes here, God the son, not just the son of God. God, Jesus is not just the son because he was begotten of the father. Like his role was God the Son. And on earth he mirrored that. Luke 2, 51 and 52 say, Then he, that is Jesus, went down and came to Nazareth and, and was subject to them, that is his parents. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So he increased in wisdom. If we look at this, you know, just as, as, as Jesus being a man, but we look at him, Jesus is God. He increased in wisdom. The all-wise God increased in wisdom. That means he had to learn. The omnipresent big God increased in stature. That means he had to grow. And the all good, all benevolent creator God who gives all good things increased in favor with man. And I wonder, and this is, I don't have an answer for you. This is just a question. How does God increase in favor with God? Like, what is that? If you have an answer for me, I'd I'd love to know at some point, but I'm still kind of chewing on that. So Jesus obeyed his parents, and he increased in wisdom and stature and favor. God and man. That is God the Son. That's God who's taking on his role as a son on the earth as he has in heaven. And not only with all of that, Jesus was crucified, which, I mean, I don't remember, like Mira and I a few days ago were talking about the death penalty and and how um, different ways that people do it here in the States and mostly it's like lethal injection and there's, you know, if you're bad and you go to die, like it's, it's scary for the state of your soul, but as far as we do it, we're, we're pretty humane as a developed nation. But God, who was all good, took upon himself one of the worst punishments that could ever happen. He was stripped naked. He was beaten. He had the hairs of his beard plucked out. He was nailed to to a cross. He was hung up on a tree. And he was mocked and scorned, and he died. And um, I think there's a song, 
think it was from the 80s by Phil Kagey called Maker of the Universe, um, where he talks about everything that um, basically all of the creation, like God created the the tree that that the 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 tree became the cross of wood that he was hung on like the the iron that were in the nails like he formed in 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 the depths of the earth like the people that did that to him he made god chose to to humble himself in this way so I don't believe that Jesus was making this up. And, and finally, as far as Jesus actually being humble, Jesus was a reflection of the Father. He says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And I always, whenever I would hear or, or read that, I always would think of it in the sense of, okay, Jesus is, um, you know, Jesus is here on the earth to do the Father's will. Um, Jesus is is the image of the Father. Like the Father is, or, or the Father is who is is like what Jesus is. Like Jesus is is Jesus, and and the Father is the Father, and they're they're like one another. But I think the the really Yeah, that's hard to, that's hard to, that thought in my mind, that was hard to, to put into words. I tended to see it the other way around, that when I look at God the Father, it's like, that's like, um, or when I look at Jesus, that's like, okay, that's, that's what the Father is, but if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Like the character and, and, and the humility and the love of Jesus is a reflection of God the Father. And God the Father, since the beginning of the universe, has always exemplified the, the qualities that Jesus has shown here on the earth. Because Jesus is a reflection of the Father. And so we look at the humility even in like even even with God the Father before the reflection of 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 who Jesus is God the Father has always walked the earth in a sense of invisibility no one has seen God at any time because if we were to see God in his true trueness like scripture says we would die because because our bodies we can't take it at this present time and so god in his godness has shown himself to be invisible he has made himself to not be seen but to work in his creation jesus reveals himself in a like manner of the Father in how he operates. Jesus is also a reflection of the Father in the sense that the Father is always operated in the context of emotion. 
God has always been very clear scripturally to show to his people how he feels about a certain um, situation. I think we often, well, probably not many of us here in this house, but traditionally we tend to view God in a stoic sense. He created the earth. He formed it. He knows how things go. He knows how things are going to go or not going to go. And so we tend to have historically viewed God as, as very stoic, without emotion. But God... We look at Genesis 6. He saw the wickedness of man and that every intention of his heart was to evil. And he was grieved in his heart and it was, and it, he was even sorry that he made man. And that word grieved, like we think of it just sad, like what happens when a, like when a relative or someone close to us dies. But it's that, that word grieved in his heart in the Hebrew is like a, like a, like a gasp, like, oh my gosh, how could this have happened? Like the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God showed himself to be surprised at the wickedness of sin. So Jesus is a reflection of the Father, and the Father is not afraid to show how he feels towards his people. And his love for his people, if you, if you go through Hosea, just so many um, examples of, of, you know, I have loved you, Malachi. You know, how have, how, have you, how have you not loved us? And like, God is very clear about his emotions. Jesus is a reflection of God the Father. God the Father, who is omniscient, has questions. In Genesis, he says, okay, he's talking to himself. He says, okay, let's go down and see what they're doing. Or he would say in Isaiah, I planted this vineyard. It was supposed to grow good grapes. It ended up growing wild grapes. What more could I have done for this vineyard? So Jesus is a reflection of God the Father who is humble enough even though he's omniscient, to ask questions. So Jesus is the humble son of a humble father. And because Jesus operates as the Father, as the Holy Spirit, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. When we ask for the Holy Spirit to come, how much, I mean, I can attest to this in my own personal story of receiving the Holy Spirit, but how, like, how much of it has been more like the Holy Spirit comes when we're glorifying Jesus, when we're giving glory to the Father? It it's, tends to be less, oh, I want more Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit come so I can, you know, so you can show yourself it's it's it tends to be and there are exceptions because God's God and God can do what God wants but 
The Holy Spirit tends to be drawn to the worship and adoration of Jesus and worship and adoration of the Father through Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to give glory to Jesus. Jesus loves to give glory to the Father. The Father loves to share his glory with his Son. God takes very seriously his glory and the glory of himself in in all senses of that word. So, God is really humble. God really operates in a spirit of humility. God, the all good, all powerful one who could do whatever he wants, chooses to walk in a spirit of humility. And the humility that God operates in is the biggest blow to the power of the enemy here on the earth. So God's, like we talked about, God's humility is not sackcloth and ashes. It's a ghillie suit. I don't think I explained it better. A ghillie suit is what snipers or hunters wear to conceal themselves. It's a way of going after the enemy and advancing his kingdom here on the earth. And so we want to look at how does God's humility disarm the enemy? Um, So the best way to surprise, to fight your enemy is by using a strategy that they're unable to to undertake themselves and defeating them that way. And God's humility is a different strategy. The devil does not know how to be truly humble or unselfish. And um, I was thinking about that, the verse... um, the verses that come to mind when I think of the enemy and his strategy and, and how God defeats that um, is in Isaiah um, chapter 14, verses 12. This is a pretty familiar passage for um, you know those of us who've, who've done any, any research into um, you know, how the devil came to be, all that sort of thing. But let's just look at the mentality of the enemy in his um, in his war against God and how that started. We're going to go fourteen uh, Isaiah fourteen verses twelve through seventeen. God says through Isaiah, "How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations." You who have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to the pit, the grave, Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, 
who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the homes of its prisoners. So if we want to look at the mentality of the, the enemy, it's the word I comes up a lot here. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. He loves to toot his own horn, and he wants to exalt himself. And when we think of, when we look at, um, say, the book of Revelation, how he's described, what are the words that tend to describe him? Antichrist, that's against Christ. Beast. False prophet, harlot, or sorcerer, any of those. He gives him, he he he's described as a beast. What does a beast do? A beast uses its power and aggression to get what it wants. Harlots use seduction and manipulation to get what they want. False prophets use religion, manipulation to get what they want, but it's all stemming from this I will, I will, I want, I want to do this, I'm going to do that. But how is God described in the book of Revelation? I looked and I saw, as it were, a lamb, as though, had, as though he had been slain. So God's answer to the beast and the harlot and the false prophet is the lamb, the one who is sacrificed. We're going to get to heaven one day, and, um, and I, I know I thought this before I met the Lord, it was like, well, this big guy up in heaven, and he's throwing down lightning bolts, and he doesn't care about me, and, you know, I don't care for him. I, I know he's real. I'm not that dumb, but I know he's real, but, you know, if I get up to heaven, I'm going to say, well, at least I've, you know, at least I've stood up against that guy, because I think I can do a better job. But anyone like that who was like me back then who doesn't submit to the mercy that God's given them, they're going to get up to heaven and they're not going to see the big scary guy who throws down lightning bolts and who's going to damn them to hell. They're going to see a lamb as though having been slain. They're gonna meet, their pride is going to meet with the humility of God. And that's the sword that's going to pierce them through. And that's God's strategy against the enemy. Humility and love is warfare. Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you heap up coals upon his head. And Paul takes that further and says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul's saying that in, in Romans 12, 21, Paul's saying that when you do these things, you're overcoming evil with good. And that's how God in his humility is, is overcoming the wicked one. Now, Another aspect of Jesus and his humility is um, 
and, and how he defeats the enemy is through killing sin. Because Jesus came to earth as a man. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And so God came to earth in Jesus as a man to be tempted as, as we are, to be tried as we are, to be hungry and thirsty and um, to experience all the emotions and the temptations that we could, and yet he chose not to give in to sin. And in so doing, he showed us that there's a way for us to overcome sin by submitting himself to being able to be buffeted in the flesh, to suffer in the flesh, he didn't sin and he gave us a way out to cease from sin. And so that's how Jesus overcomes the enemy because the, the ability to be set free from sin is the ability to be a powerful force for righteousness on the earth. And the more righteousness there is in the right way is, is the advancement of the kingdom of God. The less sin there is is the advancement of the kingdom of God. And how does this affect us? How is Christ exalted in our hearts in his humility. Jesus, as the supremely humble one, was our forerunner. That means, like, I have a few friends who race in, in marathons and, um, you know, the Olympics or the Tour de France. Like, you'd see people racing and you would see people going before them to, um, you know, to set up the next checkpoint or to, um, to do whatever needs to be done for the race. Jesus was our forerunner. That means he went before us to clear the path for us to go. Um, I have some friends who, um, I don't know how I end up with like such adventurous friends. Um, I'm kind of more, um, you know, definitely more Bilbo than Frodo. I, I, I like my, my tea and my fire and, and to sit about, but I have all these friends who like to go to crazy places and, and climb rocks and stuff. And so, so a friend of, of mine, um, was was doing we were going to do some um, some rock climbing at Enchanted Rock and so he, what he had to do was he had to go all the way up like um, he didn't do it without a harness but he he went up to a different um, point and put the stuff to anchor him in in and so he ended up doing this all the way up to where he could go up and set up a line for us to. To be, um, to be able to climb and to belay. And so he was our forerunner 
in that sense because he prepared a way for us. And so because of what he did, it made it a whole lot um, less of a toil for us to be able to get up there because we were able to be attached to the harnesses and stuff. And so that's what Jesus did for us as our forerunner, as, as paving the way. And so that leads us into being able to say, look, Jesus did it this way. He did it as a man. We can do it too. We can walk out this life. Jesus also stuck to his principles. He stuck to his own principles. He didn't say, I'm God, so I can do it however. Like, you know, he, he, was, he never said, you know, do as I say, not as I do. He always did it. And because he always did the right thing, because he always walked in the right way, he has the authority to say this is the right way, this is the right place to go, this is the right thing to do. So he abided by his own principles. And we, we, look, at, we look at integrity as something to be valued. Like It's something to instill trust in us. It's something to... Um, to show us that there, is, that there is the ability to be respected, to be honored. Um, we always want to look to those who we can trust. And so Jesus, because he walked in the right way, he became trustworthy. And because we trust him, he... He, became, he becomes worthy of respect. There's a lot of critiques against the Christian church. There's a lot of critiques against Christianity. There's a lot of critiques against Christian people. But there's very few people who can honestly critique the person of Jesus. Even in other religions, like they're dumb, they're futile, like, there's no point in them, but they always tend to have a high view of Jesus. Unless it's Satanism or something like that, but most of the other ones view Jesus highly because of his integrity. Not only is he someone to look up to, and is he someone to be respected, he also has chosen by his spirit to be in us. And so Christ is always choosing the path of humility. And he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but his work is still being done in us and in humility. And he's still calling us into that spirit of going low so that we win the prize. So Christ is incarnate in us. And I think back to Jesus coming to earth and being exalted. We beheld his glory. Jesus coming to earth, giving up all the powers and the privilege of, of Godhood but not the nature of Godhood, but also 
giving us and showing us his nature. So the word became flesh, we beheld his glory. Let this, be, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, um, who was, was humbled unto the death and a cross, and, and, and he was given the glory. Like All of those verses show that in his humility, he received the glory. John 17 says, and Jesus is praying to the Father in, in 20 through 26, I do not pray for these alone, that's us, that's the church, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I'm sorry, that's us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the word, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, and I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me might be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And Peter takes this forward. When he says, grace be, and peace be multiplied to you, that's us, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Christ being exalted in us, Jesus stepped down to lift us up so that we lift him up. And that's the way that his kingdom is going to be advanced in this season. There's so many people in the world and in politics and, and in this time who just want to toot their own horn. And there's so much temptation within our churches, within our church bodies to want to um, to want to lord it over others or to, to champion our own desires and our own needs and our own platforms and our own preeminence. But the way that this thing is going to work is through the humility of the Lamb. It's through the hunting blind. It's through the ghillie suit. It's through getting low, getting invisible, finding your target, and going after what God's given you. So at that, I'm going to pray, and um, we can continue worshiping the Lord.
Jesus, we look to you as our help. Lord, we look to you as our strength. And we know that there is no help but in you. Lord, that there is none more humble and more lowly than you who are high above all of us, Lord. Who is like you? Who is like the Lord our God who sits on high, who humbles himself to behold the things in the heavens and the earth? Lord, who is like you? We want to walk in the way that you've walked, Lord. We want to get low with you. Lord, I know this, that's hard for me, and I know that's hard for a lot of us, God, but we want to get low with you. We want to be where you're at. Jesus, we want to have hearts in heaven, feet on the ground, doing your work and walking in your way. And we don't want any other way but your way. So Jesus, as as you have blessed this body with your words, as you've blessed my heart with your words, as you've blessed this body, Lord, with with your Holy Spirit as we've sought you and as we seek you, God, Lord, please, in your grace, in your mercy, Bless us, Lord, with the heart that you have for this community and the the communities around us and show us how to, to live it out in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.